Hi, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. My name's Simon and I am the host of the show. It's so good to have you back here again in these very difficult times. We know that everybody out there is having to make compromises in many different ways, and uh, we are doing our very best to keep things going uh, on this podcast, which is brought out every couple of weeks, and you can find it on your favorite podcast app. You can also find it on YouTube, and we would definitely love you to be a subscriber. Uh, there's plenty of great content, so I'd love you to go back and have a listen to some of the previous episodes. A lot of that content is still absolutely still relevant today. So one of the ways that we can get you involved as well is to use the Meraki community, and we love you to do that. That's a great way to share uh, the conversation in between the shows and also to get ideas for what we can bring to you next. So if you go to community.meraki.com, sign up if you don't have an account already. Uh, we would love to get you on there and participating in this show. All right, so today's episode is going to be diving into the world of APIs. We've done this a couple of times. We've actually had some very successful shows we've done previously uh, on the Meraki APIs, which are really starting to open the platform up uh, for different kinds of uses to some of the ones you might be thinking of, all sorts of innovative ways our technology is being used. And we wanted to dive into some more details uh, on that today. And I'm actually joined by a fabulous crowd of Marakians today who are going to help us with a conversation on that exact topic. Uh, so first of all, we'll start off with some introductions and then we'll get into the conversation. Uh, so let's see now. First of all, I have Melissa. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing today? Hi, Simon. I'm doing well. Thanks. And what do you do for Meraki? I am the product marketing manager for our cloud platform team. And where are you calling in from today? I know we're all scattered all around the globe on this one. I'm in uh, just around San Francisco. Okay, so we're keeping it local so far. Uh, next up, we'll, we'll kick it over to Corey Gwynn. How are you doing, Corey? Yeah, hi there. I'm doing all right. And you're much further away, right? You're uh, other side <laughs> yeah. of the Atlantic. That's it. So I'm in Amsterdam, and I'm a uh, solutions architect on the APA product team. Um, so I'm doing a lot of stuff with the, the testing design and, and really just uh, leveraging how the API can be used to better enhance the, uh, the Meraki experience. Okay. And last but not least, we have Mr. Tony Carmichael. Tony, check in. Yes. Hey, everyone. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having us today. And what do you do for Meraki, Tony? Yeah, so I'm a product manager for our API and developer platforms at Meraki, and I'm uh, hailing to you from Denver, Colorado, here in the mountain uh, mountain time zone. Beautiful. What's the weather like over there today? You know, today it decided to be beautiful, warm, and sunny, um, which is perfect for this uh, this recording here. Loving the sound of that. And uh, well, we're all looking forward to getting some fresh air um, as soon as we can. I'm sure uh, after what is it now? Five weeks, I think we've been on work from home. It's uh, it's getting a bit crazy, but we're hanging in there. And we're ready to start another week with this podcast episode. So let's get into the business. Uh, Tony, I want you to, uh, if you can, take us through uh, just a bit of a high level of what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, my pleasure. So today we really want to talk about how we're going to be uh, versioning the Meraki dashboard API. And uh, in order to sort of contextually understand where we're coming from, the Meraki dashboard API, which is a REST-based API, um, has been around for quite a while now. Um, however, it wasn't until recently that we started to what's called semantically version the API. Whoa. And there's a whole host of reasons why that's important. Um, and we're going to get right into the meat of that. Um, but that is sort of the fundamental change that we've made over the course of the last few months here is to start to speak to our developers, our users, our consumers 
in versions. And most of you are familiar with this uh, concept as it pertains to things like your iOS or Apple uh, um, releases or Android releases. We often hear them coming out with, hey, the new version um, of, the, of the software. Um, and of course, also things like applications themselves and both major and minor versions. And we're really going to talk about how um, we've done this at Meraki, why we've done this, so the, the why behind the what, um, and have a really interesting discussion around that. So um, before Corey, we... feel free if you want to add anything. Oh, go ahead, Simon. Well, I was just going to say, before we get too too much into this, um, let's go super high level for, for our listeners, um, those who are perhaps less familiar with the whole API thing. I know we've covered it on a couple episodes, but maybe just give us a quick recap. What is the, the API story at Meraki, and you know, what is the dashboard API as part of that specifically? And then I think it'd be, we'll be ready then to dive into a little more detail. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So absolutely, taking a step back, the dashboard API is really the programmatic counterpart to our user interface, the dashboard. And many of you, of course, use this day in and day out. This is where you can sign in, go to dashboard.meraki.com, and start viewing uh, and interacting with your Meraki devices around the world, um, whether you're managing switches, access points, security appliances, or uh, cameras as well as mobile devices. And the idea with the API is that over the course of the, especially the last few years, um, the market's really shifted towards automating and, and network programmability. And that is the what, and the how is the API, which is stands for Application Programmable Interface, and allows for you to communicate um, through a system or uh, through an application, um, or what, what we often refer to as an API client, um, rather than a human typing and clicking, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what we're going to talk about today is the dashboard API and how we've sort of enriched that experience over the course of the last six months or so. Cool. Yeah. And, and, and just to add on a little bit to that, so, you know, I came from a, a, a systems engineering background with Meraki, and we were commonly using the Meraki for most of our customer requirements. Uh, but it started getting a little bit challenging with the enterprise and service provider customers who had, you know, various levels of automation sort of baked into their operations, as well as they were dealing with a higher volume of employees and vendor equipment. And so they were commonly asking for very specific um, controls that they could make with the, the Meraki system without always having to go through the dashboard. And that's kind of where the API started really taking, you know, uh, its, its shape. And it was a lot of these requirements to really start addressing these specific controls that the API became really a forefront. And now we're wanting to, we're, really we've embraced that um, so much so that we've had to, uh, uh, you know, think about versioning uh, due to the rate of the developments on that. That's perfect. Actually, I'm going to chime in here. Um, Corey and Tony, can you guys shed some light on how many customers are using the Meraki dashboard API today? Sure. So uh, we, as you know, Melissa, we look at this very closely. And at a high level, we found that uh, currently, um, when we look at the dashboard user interface and compare that to how many customers are also relying on the API in some form, we measure that in monthly active users. That's a very industry standard way of looking at, you know, did Jane uh, use the API in the last 30 days, so to speak? 
Um, and that number or that ratio is right around the 18 to 20% mark. So what that means is that um, for all of our customers, roughly 18 to 20% uh, are also using the dashboard API in addition to the dashboard user interface, which is pretty staggering. I mean, that number has grown uh, immensely. To Corey's point, um, the sort of rate of adoption of the API is part of what's leading us to talk now about the need to version and why that's becoming more and more critical for our developer experience out there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's let's I guess jump into that then. Why why are we taking this opportunity to reversion at the dashboard API? Sure. So I'll start it off and, and hand it to Corey to give some more depth. But really, it goes back to what I was saying, which is uh, over the course of the last three, three and a half or so years, the API, the REST API service has expanded. Uh, it's really balloon. Um, and that's an exciting thing for us. We've got over 350 what are called endpoints, which are the sort of analog to that in the user interface is a checkbox or something that you can configure or interact with. Um, and usually those are grouped by a sort of device or product or what we call service group. But the point here being that we've really massively broadened and expanded what you can do with the API. Um, and not just for configuring devices or uh, inputting settings, um, but also for, you, for our customers to be able to run really comprehensive reports and perform monitoring uh, as well is an, an area that we've seen growing massively. But because of that investment, so to speak, in the breadth of coverage, it became it started to become really difficult for our developer audience out there just to keep track of all of the enhancements we're making, all of the changes we're making, all of the patches we're making. And this fundamentally is why best practices in software and in API development really says that you should version. Um, and, and, and it's really simple in a way. It's a frame of reference for each and every user and each and every customer out there to say, okay, the last time I took a look at what was covered, what was supported, what was enhanced, and what features were there um, was version X. And now I'm coming back and looking again, and Meraki's on version X plus one, right? Whatever that, <laughs> that deviation was, right? And that is sort of a really important and helpful frame of reference for our customers and users out there. Yeah, okay, makes sense. What are the main core changes the team is making under the hood then for that reversioning? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, so there are several uh, things that we really incorporated into the changes. Now, in order to do a, a breaking change, first of all, you have to do a, a major and the semantics. So basically, if we're at version zero, by going to version one, we're signaling that there were going to be some significant changes um, to the interface, which you know includes changing the, the paths, right? the, effectively the API that you're calling or that's its URL path. And we also need to figure out how we can you know, change uh, certain responses so that they are more consistent. And so with these sort of being some of the, the, the issues that we wanted to address, um, we took a lot of time to effectively reorganize these 300 plus endpoints that we had into a really sensible sort of path structure. So think of it as like a, a well-organized, you know, file folder structure. Whereas before it was just, you know, a couple of 
folders with a whole bunch of files. And so with that, that structure, allows our developers to find the resources that they need to, to use to monitor or configure their network. Um, but it also helps our own engineers build consistent services so that everyone is on the same page. And as always, it becomes very Meraki simple. Uh, we're very we're much like a uh, intuitive interface, and that's not just with our graphical dashboard, but that's also with the programmatic interface. So those are some key changes. Uh, uh, Tony, did you want to, want to add anything uh, else? Sure, yeah, I, I would say, generally speaking, there, there have been an immense amount of what we refer to as enhancements. So these are additive changes that have been made uh, to the current major version of the API. And, and we'll get more into this, but as Corey mentioned, um, since the dawn of time on Meraki's dashboard API, we've been on major version zero. Um, but behind the scenes or under the hood, um, that major version zero, and many of you have seen this, right, is zero dot and then a number. Um, we're, you know, technically speaking, um, we've, we've made hundreds of changes, but it wasn't until recently that we actually started incrementing what's called the semantic minor version. So think of it as zero dot and then a number, that's the minor version. And if we were to wind back the clock well to before we started actually speaking in terms of semantic versions, we would be at zero dot probably hundreds, right, Corey? Easily hundreds. Um, but we, we, it wasn't until recently that we actually started incrementing that number um, and communicating in this sort of new way. Um, and it's very typical for API providers to bump that number anytime they make a new release, which includes typically additive or enhancement changes to the API. Um, separately, there has been work uh, that, that our group has done to start preparing us for a new major version. And that is exactly what Corey was speaking to here. And that is done for really one reason and one reason only. Um, it is to release not only just a completely new, call it major experience, uh, to the API, but it's to allow the provider, in this case Meraki, um, to actually make what are referred to as breaking changes. Now, the reason that this is very important is because we, as a provider, have committed to every developer out there in the world that we will not break uh, or make what are called breaking changes to the API's experience. And there's a finite list of what are considered breaking changes. But the context behind this is that we have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of API clients that have been built to integrate with our service. So we have to make sure that we continue to deliver a backwards compatible experience. The moment that we go in and make any sort of breaking change, just like the path changes that Corey, for example, described, without incrementing our major version, that will really upset our customers, understandably, because it means that overnight, we would, in theory, push a change that would actually bring down any integration that's reliant on the declarative design and structure uh, of the API. And that's sort of the area that, uh, you know, the major versioning exercise uh, comes in around, if that makes sense. Definitely. And that makes sense, it sounds like, for like the rollout of V1, um, but what about breaking changes in folks um, who would migrate from what we're on now to the new version? Does 
versioning to V1 break things for folks who are already using the dashboard API in 0.9, for example? Yeah, this this goes right back to that intent um, and being really sort of in uh, you know intentional about uh, where we are uh, by way of version. So absolutely, any developer um, and for example, Corey, uh, you know, he's built many hundreds of clients and integrations on top of API version zero. Um, what we are signaling to the world by our soon-to-be um, transfer transition to version one is that developers are going to need to go back in and dis dissect their clients' software um, and make sure to transition uh, their, their software to version one. Um, this is why it's important that providers in general don't do this all too often. They only really do it on an as-needed basis, and we've held off, to be honest, as long as we could um, as we sort of built out this, this product, this experience. Um, but now we've sort of gotten to that point where we need to make enough of those structural changes, path changes, you know, uh, output changes that are breaking to sort of make it to where it's time for us to actually communicate this out to our developers, um, make sure that they know that it's coming, and in depth detail the doc, you know, the documented changes that they're going to be uh, needing to sort of build upon. Um, so it's absolutely sort of us coming to the market, coming to our developers, and saying, hey. Um, we do need to version the service. Here's the why, and, and of course, we'll talk about that here. Um, but experientially for the developer, that means they now need to move their clients over um, in order for them to sustainably work on the next version of the API. And again, this is pretty common or standard, uh, mm -hmm. but it does mean that there's some work uh, that has to be done by our developers and integrators out there. I actually have a quick question on this one, Tony. Um, just wondering, uh, I can imagine if uh, there are folks listening who are already extensively using APIs and they, they, this kind of stuff might make them a little anxious. Change always does when you're sure. uh, when you're in this kind of game. So, what what kind of communication plan uh, are we thinking about for, uh, for for making sure that we get the word out um, in good time and everybody gets to hear it? Yeah, so we thought deeply about this, and this is one of the reasons we have uh, architects like Corey and Shay and others on the team, because they think really deeply and sort of echo the voice of the developer. Um, the, before I answer that, Simon, we there are really sort of two uh, personas, right, within the developer world. There are, call it brownfield or seasoned developers that are familiar with Meraki and have already developed uh, intellectual property and software clients on uh, Meraki's APIs. Um, of course, you're absolutely right that we want to be extra mindful about those users. Um, and there's, you know, the answer on in that area is while we are going to be announcing as well as promoting to this new V1 of the service, which absolutely will have modifications to it uh, fundamentally. Um, that doesn't mean to say that we're going to pull the carpet out from under every one of our uh, developers, and and you know, given this sort of very short time scale. In fact, our intent when we release and announce version one is to continue in parallel to support uh, and, and continue to run both version zero, uh, our current version, as well as version one, uh, which in the coming months or two will be promoted uh, concurrently. Um, so everything will continue to work um, and nothing will change uh, about how those function uh, and how those are supported. Um, we will be giving developers uh, a minimum of 18 months, but we have not yet set a sunset date. Sunset is the moment at which we not only communicate that the service no longer uh, is running, 
um, but that we actually shut it off. So we haven't actually even set that date yet. We're going to have a significant amount of time where we continue to sustain and support both. Now, for the Greenfield developer, which is that other persona that, that is equally important, um, we this is less of an issue. And there is no reason why, once we uh, come out with version one right, and promote that, that a developer wouldn't jump on that bandwagon. Because ultimately, as we've already mentioned, we have in all ways, shapes, and facets made the version one experience improved. That is fundamentally sort of the, the goals behind this new version of the API, is make it more discoverable, make it easier to use, make it more user-friendly from a developer's standpoint, and it's going to be more feature-rich. So there's ultimately, if you're coming brand new to the table, Simon, and you're saying, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna write a new client today, um, by the time we promote version one, that's the way you want to go. And that's what we're going to recommend and signal as part of our communications. But we want to be really thoughtful about that brownfield developer, that seasoned developer that already has built uh, clients. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And and I'm so glad we're thinking about that because it's, uh, you know, I think, I think if you don't look at this stuff every single day, uh, and you're just happy that your network is working and you don't want to touch anything. Uh, th this is the thing which is going to make you a little nervous, I imagine. And I remember this from my network engineering days. Uh, you, you, There are certain networks that you absolutely are happy to be experimenting with and, and changing stuff, running the latest code. But then you've also got those folks who want to make sure that they've got so their mission critical stuff is you know, very well baked and they have plenty of time to plan their uh, any changes that they need to make. So that sounds good. Absolutely. And, and Corey, I mean, chime in here because, I, I, like I said, he, you know, we've talked about this at length within the team. Um, and, you know, he is one of those developers with many clients behind it as well. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I have a, a lot of services and, and tools. Um, again, as I was helping my customers as an SE, I was building a lot of either like proof of concept, you know, solutions or, you know, simple scripts that would help them deploy, you know, their newly, uh, you know, acquired network at scale. And so I'm not eager to, you know, rewrite a lot of those scripts that may just be sitting in a GitHub, you know, repository, you know, collecting dust until that one moment when I need it. And I don't necessarily want to have to rewrite it. So, you know, there's a decision around, you know, supportability, and then when do we just kind of turn it off? And so, you know, we're not eager to turn it off because I'm not eager to turn it off as at least one vote. Um, and beyond that, you know, um, but going forward, you know, as I were to build new, new solutions, new scripts, you know, I'm naturally going to want to use V1, you know, as a developer. And that's because it's going to have the newest endpoints you know, there were over 150 changes, at least, to uh, the new version, as well as all new future developments will be within this space. And so, you know, obviously from, you know, new features, but also there was a lot of efficiency improvements where we return, you know, more uh, data uh, as opposed to a very uh, limited set where you're having to call the API at multiple times. So instead, we'll return, like, say, an array of, of results, um, just generally making the experience faster for everyone. Um, and then on kind of another angle, uh, with these improvements and enhancements, uh, we were able to also build a lot of really helpful utilities and, and reinvest in utilities that have already been helpful to our developers. And that's things like our interactive API mm -hmm. documentation, as well as our Postman collection, 
which is basically like a graphical tool to interact with REST APIs. And so we have basically mirrored this Postman collection to match our interactive API documentation, giving you two ways of discovering and, and leveraging the API, as well as Postman in itself is much like a calculator to an accountant. It's always on their desk. And if they need to like run some numbers, double check something outside of say a spreadsheet, uh, it, it comes in really handy to sanity check. And so we wanted to make sure our Postman collection was robust and really well documented um, to you know aid in the development, whether you're uh, you know someone new to the experience or if you're a seasoned veteran just looking for references. Actually, I want to uh, quickly jump in there on Postman. I um that, I have limited experience on this. I'm definitely a newbie on uh, on this side of uh, the Meraki House, but. Uh, I did find Postman was actually quite good fun to play with. You you can just, you know, it is it is exactly like you said, Corey. It's like having a, a calculator on your desk. It's just a, a handy tool that you can just test and see what the output is uh, based on the input you put in. So uh, for anybody who wants to sort of experiment and get into this for the first time, that's, that's a, a pretty good way to do so, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean... Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to be writing in Python or JavaScript or whatever your language is, but sometimes your bug your code has bugs in it, and sometimes it's just nice to just run the API call without you mucking around. And so, you know, having that kind of that static collection off here, you know, uh, side there as a tool is super helpful. Uh, I discovered it early on when I was you know, learning about you know, Internet of Things and APIs, and I didn't necessarily want to write code. I just wanted to use the API. And it's much like a web browser, you know, discovering the World Wide Web, but instead I'm discovering it through API endpoints instead of web addresses. Um, so you know, I, I definitely encourage anybody who's new to the API space um, to have Postman as like one of the first things that they install. Awesome. And actually, Corey or Tony, can you share some examples of some cool projects you've seen with the API and maybe what stack or, or whether those projects are in Postman or, or um, up on our Developer Hub Explore page um, for folks who are looking for maybe some projects to take on while they're at home or to get started with? So there's a couple of cool projects. Um, I mean, there is a um, a collection of demonstrations and user submitted content on the Meraki IO uh, website, where our developer hub, and we collect all of these samples. Um, one, like at, for an example, one sample uh, is a switch swapper, where you can uh, go on site and imagine you are a um, a service technician and you needed to swap out a switch that may have gotten damaged because uh, you know someone dropped their coffee on it. And so now you have a, a broken switch. And so all you need to do is just go into that uh, server room, take a picture of the, the switch serial number, and have the system swap that uh, configurations out. You know, pull in um, the new inventory um, that you're going to be replacing it with, and then push those switch port configurations and any settings automatically into the new setup. Now, you could do this on the Meraki dashboard, and you could you know, make all these changes, and there's even the ability to clone within inside of the dashboard. But you would have to allow uh, maybe some third-party technician access um, to the dashboard directly to make those changes. But if you wanted to, say, abstract that, 
to ensure a secure uh, configuration and that they couldn't do anything outside of that scope, well, then you build your own custom application. And so that's what a service provider had asked me to do as one example. And so I built a, a simple workflow that allowed you to insert the, the serial number of the device and it performs the automation of swapping out those switch configurations um, with just a few clicks of a button. So that's one example. Um, Tony, do you have any fun examples you want to share? Yeah, I, I would say one that we came across a few months ago is an open source solution that uh, one of our technologists created called the Meraki VPN Map. And for those interested in taking a look or following along with us as you're listening to this, um, you can go to meraki.io forward slash explore, which is where you'll see all of the various projects that we've uncovered and are uh, have promoted um, a as a solution built on the Meraki APIs. But this one in particular, the API VPN map, uh, which is built on a Node.js uh, server framework, um, what it does is effectively create a visualization of all your VPN connections across the World Wide Web and across the physical world um, and shows you in both real time uh, and historically how those are connecting. Um, and it's a sort of really cool take on how you can visualize your VPN environment. Uh, it also adds some uh, utilities that allow for you to check connectivity. And really now more than ever, VPN, as many of you know, is, is absolutely mission critical. Um, it's how each of us are able to do our, continue to do our jobs. Those of us uh, fortunate enough that, that we can work from home um, you know, VPN has sort of got gone under the scope. Um, and so this tool is one that's grown in popularity, um, you know, and, and we theorize largely because of, uh, of the current situations. And so that's a really neat one that we've seen come out in the last few months, Melissa. Yeah, definitely. Definitely relevant for our teleworker situation right now. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, so you've, you've talked a lot about the, um, the transition plan or what folks should be thinking about if they are currently using the dashboard API and moving over to v1 once it's released um, and uh, greenfield developers how to how to start looking at this or start thinking about this when they do get programming is there a way for folks to get more involved in this process or or give feedback or impact the direction we're going Absolutely, yeah. So one of the things that we uh, we definitely uh, would be remiss not to mention here is for those interested in not just following along, uh, but also getting an opportunity to contribute and uh, an early test uh, and access this new version. Um, Corey and the team will very soon actually be releasing uh, the the beta experience around V1. And the answer to your question there is the Meraki Early Access Developer Program. Now, this is a uh, community of, of developers that is sort of coming together to, as I said, contribute to, test, and experience, or kick the tires, so to speak, on new developer experiences, um, our new version one system, and any new features that uh, that are coming uh, and, and will be released to this community before uh, the general public. And so to get to that, uh, the easiest way is to sign up through meraki.io forward slash early hyphen access. And that will get you to a very quick uh, submission form where we'll get a few details about uh, who you are, what you do, and what your preferred uh, languages are. 
And from there, we'll onboard you to the program uh, so that you can help contribute to the future, not just of V1, uh, but other things coming down the line. Give us that one again, Tony. Of course, yeah, Meraki, M-E-R-A-K-I dot I-O forward slash early hyphen access. Perfect. And what what might be some of those things coming down the line? Or what's the what do you guys see as the next frontier for um, the cloud platform or API services? So I'll speak a little bit to V1. Um, so obviously, some of you might be scratching your head and thinking, you know, version one, wouldn't that be the first? Um, but actually, technically, version zero, when it comes to semantic versioning, is the first major version. And so as we've talked about version one, uh, which will include, as, as we've talked about, lots of fundamental changes, far more consistency, and an improved developer experience across, uh, across the service. And when we sort of release this, uh, it, it will not only include a bunch of new functionality, um, but it'll include a completely new structure to how you interact with it uh, through documentation, through your Postman collections, and even through a completely sort of redesigned Python SDK experience. Um, this has been hand-built, hand-curated by Shay, one of our architects on the team, and really nicely complements version one because it means that you can go in and instantiate or call it, like say, call functions within Python in a very sort of human-readable, human-elegant uh, way. Um, and that's going to really fast track uh, how our engineers, network administrators, IT operators out there can start to approach uh, pro network programmability um, in, in a sort of much, we've lowered the barrier of entry is what we've really tried to do here. Um, so that's something that you'll see us releasing very soon along with the version one product. And lastly, and this is where I really want to tip the hat to Corey here, is a completely new and redesigned documentation experience, which it's important to call out is really the presentation layer of an API. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of endpoints and technical mumbo jumbo. Um, the documentation is what's critical for an API and the developer's experience around it. Perfect. And you know, before we started recording, we were on video, and I saw that you actually were wearing a hat. So that literal tipping of the hat, I'm sure. <laughs> no, for Corey. Yeah, and, and Corey. I mean, I'd love to. Uh, you know, anything you want to talk about there around V1, and then we can talk about what's to come for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, um, I'm just really excited about getting V1 out there. I mean, I personally now use it as a default just because it's so much easier to use. Uh, you know, I I personally have to you know build solutions using our APIs as much as I am also like looking at our APIs. And so when it's just you know uh, a joy to use, I tend to be able to be more productive. <laughs> um, and then you know beyond just uh, you know the, the documentation and the utilities. Um, just looking a little bit further ahead, uh, you know, um, we've been primarily focused on the configuration endpoints. So we're trying to get as much parity with the ability of making changes to your Meraki equipment. So configuring your wireless networks or applying firewall rules. Um, now, you know, once V1 is is out there, um, we're going to be focusing a lot more on the reporting elements, right? So I would like to monitor. Um, the the network, and that could actually take two you know shapes or forms. It could be the REST form, so our our dashboard API, where you make a request and say, give me all of the clients that have joined my network over the past 
you know, two hours. Um, or give me the status of my devices. Are they online or are they offline? Um, well, that works really well for a sort of populating a dashboard or generating a, a one-off report. But when it comes to say SLA management or just the sheer amount of data that you're trying to monitor and it doesn't make sense to always ask for it, that's where we pivot to more event-driven systems. And that's things like our webhook alerts where we send you the data you know, regarding an uplink that has failed, as opposed to you having to ask for it every couple of minutes. So we'll be putting a lot more energy in that kind of area. Um, but there's also other telemetry uh, or push-driven types of information that we can send you, things like our scanning API or our location services, where we can tell you the location of your wireless clients or your Bluetooth beacon devices, and also pull out information like telemetry. So it's battery, it's temperature, um, things like that um, are in the future. Tony, is there yeah. anything else you want to add on that? No, I think that was perfectly explained. A, a great analogy here that uh, is, is familiar is, you know, we all have mobile apps. We probably have tens, dozens, hundreds of them perhaps. And uh, really, the distinction here is when, uh, and if some of you out there will remember this, when we started to see the shift towards push notifications, um, it's a really, uh, you know, it'd be really annoying if, you know, for your SMS and your text messaging or your messaging apps, in order for you to consume new information, you'd have to open that app every time and say, oh, Melissa just texted me three minutes ago, um, or Simon just messaged me two hours ago. Um, and so what Corey described here is how we've, we're going to be maturing this experience for developers so that in addition to being able to comprehensively ask us for information when it matters, and a lot of times that's if you're loading your own uh, front-end application um, or you're doing some, um, you know, sort of uh, time-sensitive uh, scripting, uh, which is ideal for configuration. Um, we want to also now really immature the experience with our webhooks. And that means that you can sort of select, so to speak, how you want to get the information. And for anything that's stateful, so a switch port going from down to up um, or an access point going offline, um, we've already invested in webhooks, but you're going to continue to see us really add and, and, and add some horsepower behind development uh, around our push-based notifications, just like how you now can get notifications for your messaging apps, if that makes sense. Definitely. Okay. And so for folks wanting to get early access to that kind of, um, those kind of services, the early access program, the community is the place for that as well, right? For those beta programs. Absolutely. Yep. And we will be, um, you know, we've really not just invested in this version one, but we have moved to, as we've talked about, just to summarize, versioning minor uh, releases of our API as well. And just to set expectations with our listeners out there, every month uh, we will now be uh, cutting a new uh, release. Um, so each month you can come in right at the start of the month and see all the new features, all new functionality. That's on our changelog at meraki.io. Um, but in addition to that, for those members of the early access community, we will be doing a weekly release of new beta functionality. And that audience um, are, are going to be easily able to consume just the absolute latest versions, uh, new features, new functionality before that next month's release, if that makes sense. So it's four releases of beta 
and then one release of generally available uh, versions of the API. I um I kind of wondering as as I'm listening to all of this, I'm thinking something that uh, Melissa touched on earlier on. There's a lot of people out there right now, of course, in a home-based situation, and they might have some Meraki gear. They might want to be um, playing around with with some of that, and maybe they haven't tried any of this stuff before. Uh, do we have any sort of literally starting from scratch, uh, you know, pretty little, little uh, tests or or bits of code that they can they can play with to to just start to gain some familiarity and confidence with this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so DevNet uh, is the like the developer arm of of Cisco, and they have built a tremendous amount of learning labs as well as a an associate program for you know becoming uh, more programming focused when it comes to network management. So, you know, the basics to Python, the basics to REST API, the basics to JSON, and then you start building on these components to start building, you know, real solutions or real tools that you can start using in your everyday life. On top of that, it turns out like I think Raspberry Pis are like uh, being sold like no other in these you know very special times because everyone's like oh now I have a few days to kind of hack around with this right. project, and you can start building you know cool um, projects with the Meraki APIs on a Raspberry Pi, and that will uh, that'll keep you busy for a few days. Nice, Melissa. Was there any other questions around the uh, that we got from the community for the show? I think we've touched on the major ones here. So we've talked about some cool projects and what's next and, yeah. and especially how to get access. Okay. Um, but, you know, we're happy to continue the conversations on the community. So I'll, I'll go ahead and when this podcast is live, I'll post it. And if folks want to add additional questions, we're happy to, to keep the conversation going on those threads. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. And, and that's the thing that I'm really keen for us to try to do because I know that this is something where for a lot of the a lot of the folks out there, I think it's going to be like a confidence building exercise, just getting getting up to the point where they feel happy to jump in and have a go with all of this. And and so the community is a great place to, you know, just talk about that. To so just just let people know, you know, what you're what you're struggling with, what what doesn't make sense to you, and just you know, let's level up our knowledge together. It seems like a a nice way of doing things. Definitely. Well, it's been a pretty technical conversation today, but uh, a lot of good stuff. And I like what I'm hearing around this versioning. It sounds to me like it's going to make it much easier uh, for uh, folks out there to to really keep on top of, you know, what changes are, are coming, what changes are have been made, so that there maybe are new hooks that can be taken advantage of for building new exciting software applications. We've covered quite a few of these on the the shows we've done about APIs. If you if you go back through the archive, uh, you'll find uh, I think we have now two or three episodes we've done where we've talked to. Uh, real customers who have taken those APIs and and essentially created a, a business model or a, you know service out of those capabilities. So we know it's real, we know it's out there, and obviously we're super keen to see more of it because we do firmly believe that that's uh, the future. It's certainly where we're investing a lot of our our energy, as you're hearing from uh, the folks on the podcast today. Okay, so before we wrap things up, I'll just do a quick uh, quick round the room, uh, sort of any closing comments. Um, thank you very much, uh, folks, for, for, uh, for joining in on the podcast today. And so for our special guests, uh, Melissa, thank you very much for, uh, for popping some of those questions. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, Corey, uh, good luck over there in the Netherlands. Uh, and thanks a lot for staying <laughs> on. It's a bit later in the day for you, but I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. 
And of course, Mr. Carmichael, thank you very much again for, uh, for taking us through some of the details today. Thanks so much, Simon. Thanks for having us. And thanks to each of our listeners out there. We uh, really appreciate your subscribership and look forward to interacting with you more on the community. I couldn't say it better myself. And and so really, that's the place to go. Go to the community. Let's keep the conversation going. For Meraki Unboxed, uh, we're going to wrap this episode up now. But if you would like to see an idea of yours uh, done on the show, be that about our networking products, our smart cameras, the APIs, of course, that we've been talking about today, uh, my ears are very open. I'm very excited about having more engagement and uh, and getting either you on there or just us talking about what you would like to hear us talking about. So the community obviously is one place you can do that. Uh, the other place is to reach out to me directly. You can do that on Twitter with at Meraki Simon is my handle on Twitter. And I would love to hear from you. Uh, just let me know what you think of the show, how we can improve it for you and uh, any topics you would like to get covered. So with that, I'm going to wrap things up for this show. Uh, I think it's been a uh, certainly a pretty deep, heavy one, but we've we've covered a topic which is super important and one which we really do believe is uh, very much indicative of the direction that uh, a lot of networking is going as we start to automate more and more of our capabilities. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks. Very much look forward to that and stay safe out there. We'll see you back here very soon. Bye for now. <laughs>